Well, hello, dudes and ladies. This is Food of Work, and you are listening to Numbers on the Board with Bobby Karala and Jeff, quote, skin, unquote, Wade, bum! Welcome to Numbers on the Boards. Last week we had a first. It was our first remote podcast. This week we have another first. It is our first time broadcasting live from a basketball court. Wow. Yeah, it is amazing. Joining me today, we are... We are Deep behind enemy lines, by the way, mm. in San Antonio. We're not at American Airlines Center. We're in San Antonio. We're deep behind enemy lines, almost as far as you can go. But last night, someone might have been a little bit farther. Joining me today, a guy who you can't prove wasn't out on the city yep. drinking wine with Greg Popovich last yep. night. He is Jeff Skinway. Hello, Bobby Digital. Uh, we're sitting on the baseline. It's... Um you know, what do we got, about an hour and a half before tip, something like that? Thereabout. And we are watching uh, Mavs player development coach God Sham God work with Harrison Barnes. We're what, about 15, 20 feet? We're probably about 20, 25 feet away from Barnes. Yep. And there's several things on my mind to start this podcast. Number one, here in San Antonio, they have the best chocolate chip cookies I've ever had in any arena ever. I just ate two giant cookies. I'm not going to feel well later. But the immediate gratification was so worth it because those cookies were so good. Every every time I see a cookie that is dusted with powdered sugar, I have to get at least uh, one of them. That's a know? party right there. Yeah, it is. Uh, and then number two, I'm, how how much attention do you pay to uh, pregame rituals from different players? Is it something that interests you? It, it is, yeah. It really is. Uh, the, the guy, I mean, we're lucky, obviously, to see a bunch of guys that have interesting ones, Dirk primarily, but... Um, couple guys who whenever they come to town i always make it a a priority to watch a few of them actually steph curry of course kyle corver and kyrie irving all three do very interesting things i don't know that i've ever seen kyrie what does he do he just does a lot of uh wrong foot layups oh yeah and uh left-handed floaters from all around the so he'll he'll do like form shooting drills you know with his right hand five eight feet from the basket shooting and then he'll do it with his left hand. Uh-huh. And then he'll do floaters at various angles off the backboard from both his right and left foot. All these things that just look insane whenever he's doing them in, in pregames. But in the game, it just looks so natural. And it's because he's he's practicing before the game. That whole muscle memory thing going, right? You know, whenever um, folks watch J.J. Barea in transition, J.J.'s been doing it for so long. It's He's a master at going full speed and releasing a layup. Off of that's going to go off the glass, but releasing it about six to seven feet away from the rim, and he's doing it because he's anticipating when the the guy's going to come in and try to block the shot, and on and on and on, and he's gotten so good at it. But that is like exactly what you're talking about with Kyrie. There's so much time practicing what, like if you were just whatever, like a ninth grade kid trying to play basketball. You're not practicing that stuff. Absolutely, it's not. just that whole. It's just that whole. Okay, as you get to the next level, how does your game change? And we, you and I, have talked about this a little bit with Dennis Smith Jr. There's things that he's never had to do before because his ridiculous athleticism. There's nobody his age that can do those things. Well, now he's in the league where people can do these things. So you've got to learn all that. And I think it's probably he's always going to jump higher and quicker and all those things than a guy like J.J. Barea, but he can learn a lot from Barea and his approach to different release points. And that's why I do like to come out here and just watch dudes get ready for the game. I think some people come in here and go, oh, yeah, guy's shooting. No, he's not. He's got a real specific routine that he's doing to put himself in the right position to succeed later in the night. Absolutely. And one of my favorite things, I guess, 
is not only watching like how many shots they take from every spot because it's always going around the arc and then coming back and then around the arc and then coming back but it's also in between all this stuff they take free throws some mm -hmm. guys only take one or two but Dirk at various points in his warm-up will take 10 he'll he'll make 10 free throws in a row and then do the next drill and if he misses one he'll start over yeah and it's like that's the sort of thing that will also benefit you in the game because you're you're tired you know you've just been running around and now you're shooting free throws but it's just kind of a it's a building rhythm it's building rhythm for the kids at home listening to this podcast, when your coach lines everybody up and then someone takes a free throw and they miss and then the whole team runs all the way down and then run all the way, you're not being punished. You're, uh, you're learning that you're going to be going full speed and your heart's going 1,000 miles an hour and then you got to slow everything down and take a free throw. How many that's what that's did, all about. Did you miss that all the time? I've or? never missed a free throw in my life. Really? Yeah, I'm wow. 1,000%. Okay. Now, I never got fouled, oh, uh, okay. so okay. I never had to take one. Yeah. But in practice, wow, just so absolute money and you know who's been uh pregame who's been working with dirk since the dawn of time is brad davis yeah the first guy to ever have his number retired for the dallas mavericks that's the guy i watched as a kid growing up and brad uh brad has always been dirk's you know player development guy before games that's mm. who he that's who dirk's always worked with there's a big like i don't know if it's almost like a, a mythos or something but like everyone has their guy yeah like, brad davis is dirk's guy God, Sham God is Harrison Barnes' guy. Like yep. he, wherever wherever Sham goes, Barnes is like two feet behind him. I mean, it, it is amazing watching those. Everybody has their guy. Dwight Powell's guy is Mike Procopio. Yep, you always see them. And then if my I could have this wrong, but my understanding was that the reason Eric Spolstra ascended to the place he did is because he was Dwayne Wade's guy. Really? In Miami. Okay. And so when. Uh, Everyone was talking about, you know, when uh, LeBron and Bosh were going there, it was like Dwayne Wade had Spolstra's back. Like, he, that's my guy. Don't worry about it. He, okay. He's got this. Yeah, well, and once Luke Walton went to the Lakers, I believe, uh, if I'm remember, remembering correctly, I think Luke Walton was Draymond's guy. He was. Yeah. He so was, because like I read a, big, a lot about that. Yeah, that was like a big, uh, I don't know, like chemistry thing whenever he left. is like, well, what's going to happen with Draymond now? He's, he's lost his guy. Draymond but, then became everybody else's guy. Yeah. He just... Yeah. He's the barking guy. Yeah. How exciting is it that Dirk is stretching five feet away from us? It is It is very uh, central. Do you ever have, like, a nightmare scenario where you step on a player? Absolutely. When he's stretching accidentally? Yeah. That, now, God, this could be suck. your time. This could be your time to realize that nightmare. What a horrible, horrible moment that would be. Uh, earlier, uh, do you have any thoughts as to why J.J. Bray has been so good? Earlier we were talking about him and his, you know, how he practices different things. We've seen J.J. forever, right? If you're a Maverick fan, you've seen J.J. in two different stints that are both very long now. But why do you think he's playing at such a high level? You can make an argument. You can make an argument he's been their best player this year. He's at least a top three player for the Mavericks this year. Yeah, for sure. I think his biggest – the biggest thing he's improved on since coming back to the Mavs was at 2014. So this is three and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. Is He's become a really, really good three-point shooter. Yes. And I don't know if, if – God, he, he was draining in the first half against the Warriors. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's shooting, I think, above 40% still this year from three. And I don't know – if it's a mechanical thing, I don't know if it's just at this point in his career he's reached basketball nirvana where everything is just making sense all the time. But right. him being a great three-point shooter unlocks all the other parts of his game because if you don't step out, and all, all the time he's running pick and rolls with Dirk and pick and pops with Dirk, if you don't step out and put a guy on JJ, then he's going to get three points. Yeah. Whereas before, in his first time with the Mavs, he wasn't really hitting that shot. He wasn't even taking those shots a lot. So now that he can hit those... It just adds to every every other element of his game. Still yeah. getting inside and still, you know, getting inside guys, not trying to jump over them. He doesn't take a lot of heavy hits because he's always so, you know, careful about how he how he kind of 
uh, contorts his body to finish around the rim. He's, he's really just an awesome, awesome player. He's a pretty brilliant dude when it comes to basketball. Uh, he may be a brilliant dude uh, in other things, too. I've never asked him. But he's a brilliant basketball player. And uh, one of my favorite moments or wrinkles, or I don't know what exactly you'd call it, of the championship season was that in the beginning of the season, he was really, really struggling. Like, he couldn't hit anything. And then Rick tweaked the rotation to where when Dirk, when Brea came back in, Dirk was coming in with him. Was that the first year that that happened? I believe it was. Okay. And uh, and so it's just like we always talk about floor spacing and things. It's like that's that's a great example of making a player better. Like people always go, well, Magic Johnson made everyone around him better, and they show all these passes and assists and stuff. But you can make someone else better just by your mere presence. And so Dirk would go to the bench, and then when he would come back in, he'd come back in with J.J., and J.J.'s shooting percentage went through the roof after that. And then they went on. Am I right, Dirk? Okay. J.J. only made it in this league because every time, even back in the days, coach called, J.J., I immediately got up because his plus minus with me, without me out there, was so brutal <laughs> that I subbed in every time he subbed in. See, does that not support what we were talking about? Dirk just said that J.J. Barea just made Dirk's career great. That's what Dirk said. And I'm not going to argue with him. Yeah. You're going to argue with 30,000 over here? Yeah. I'm not. He could, Dirk could tell me anything, and I'd agree with it. But yep. he's, in this case, I'm sure J.J. would agree. He would just not agree immediately. He would agree later Yeah. after oh. hearing that Dirk said that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, I mean, as Dirk obviously joking whenever he said that he made J.J.'s career, but I think at this stage of – both of their careers, they make each other way better. I, obviously, you were probably, I'm going to assume you never played Backyard Baseball 2001. Is that a safe Is that a video game? Computer game. Uh, I've never played that. Okay. Well, it is a, it is a baseball game where you have four ratings, and okay. you're rated on a scale of one to ten baseballs. Okay. All these characters in the game. And there are some characters, like a pair of brothers, a pair of sisters, you know, a brother and a sister, or just their friends in the game, where if you have them both on your team, they get ratings boosts by the other's presence. They go from like a six-ball hitter to a nine-ball hitter and from a four-star fielder to a seven-star fielder. And I think that's kind of what we see with these guys is like their synergy and chemistry is just so high that they just they bring out the best in, in what the others got. Yeah, and you know, there's – okay, I'm going to go back to the old cliche of don't work harder, work smarter. And if you look at that unit that we've spent so much time talking about that is Devin and Berea – and, and for the time, it was Yogi and Dwight per, uh, Powell and Dirk. Dwight Pearl is a good Dwight, name. Dwight Pearl be great. Dwight yeah. Pearl Monroe. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that's real interesting about that is that three of the guys in that lineup are old heads, Devin and J.J. and Dirk, but they're just so efficient because they're so smart and they've been through so much. And I mean, the fact that at least once a game, Devin smoked somebody on a backdoor cut, which is 1950s basketball, is just awesome to me. Yeah. And everyone's seen it a million times, and it just it still works. How does the guy covering Devin not know not to overplay him? It's just amazing to me. It's just whenever you go up against second-unit shooting guards, they fall asleep a lot, <laughs> They man. fall asleep you know, they at fall least asleep. once a game. It's the oldest trick. But you're not – you don't even think about it. Like you said, it's a 1950s basketball, so you're not thinking this six-foot-two guy is going to go backdoor. Right. You know? Right. Just, you're never even thinking about it. But – Okay, JJ with the second unit. I think one common, you know, if, if you log on to Twitter.com, uh, one of your one of your biggest complaints that you're going to see about JJ's game is people will think he just dribbles the ball so much, dribbles the ball so much. Mm-hmm. But 
he's given basically complete control of the second unit. And his job as the point guard of the second unit is to find good shots. And often for him, that means getting into the lane and opening things up for other people. Right. So once he gets in the lane, sometimes it takes 10, 15 seconds to, to find the right angle coming off a screen to get in the paint. And once he does, if nobody you know helps down, then he has to take the shot. Right. You, you don't have enough time to dribble it out and restart. You don't have a, you, He's you know not an unselfish or not a selfish enough player to kick it out to someone who's guarded and say okay here you go, you know once he has seen the play through to its end, which is by getting into the paint. At that point, you got to get a shot up. That's just that's that's what it is. And the only time it's a problem is when he's missing those shots. And yeah. I mean, how many times has he just made layups? Like it, if if he gets in the paint, he's going to get a layup or it's going to be a three. Right. Like that's that's what you want to see every time down. Yeah. No, I think you're exactly right. And I also think there's a, a difference in dribbling to shot hunt and dribbling to let things develop or to try to find the right situation and I think that's really more or less what he's doing I don't think he's just pounding the rock it'd be you know the other thing too is like he's bringing the ball up right so if they wanted him to orchestrate and he was going to start off the ball when he catches it he wouldn't just catch it and dribble he'd catch it and triple threat and it'd be a different situation he's bringing the ball up and he's trying to get them in the, in the right situation so it's not like you know I used to kind of make jokes that Steve Francis led the league in sheer number of dribbles. It's it's not that style of basketball to me. I never I never look at uh I never watch Berea and think he's wasting time or he's just pounding the rock. Yeah, I mean, how many times do you see him get switched against a big man and then dribble it out all the way to half court, go between his legs 75 times? Like that, that just doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. No. He's he's using his dribble for a purpose, absolutely, uh, and uh, he's been great this year. And I think he, pro- I think he probably would have been similar last year if he didn't have the injury. God, man, that injury when it happened, I remember thinking it was an Achilles. Yeah, it. W- it are you talking about in Boston when he went yes. down the first time? Yeah, that was that was not a good fall. That man. was not, that a, good was not fall. a good fall. Yeah. Uh, okay, so skin. Yes, this is game number thirty for the Mavs. After tonight, fifteen of their first thirty games will have been against teams with a top eight record in the NBA. Say that again. Fifteen of their thirty games have been against teams at the top eight records. How about in the NBA. that? I did not yeah. know that. And those happen to be the first four teams in each conference. So yep. it's against the Warriors, Spurs, uh, Rockets, and Wolves. And then the East is the Cavs, it's the Celtics, it is the Bucks, surprisingly, and it is the Raptors. The Mavs have played those teams combined fifteen times, including four games against the Spurs out of the first thirty. And in a lot of these games, I think early in the season, the Warriors came to Dallas, and they ended up winning that game, I think, by 30. Mm-hmm. But every other game, and I'm, I mean truly all 14 other games, has been like tied or within five in the fourth quarter of all those games. Yeah. So how do you think that they've done against – this is a team that is the Mavs that's had some injuries. They've got a lot of young guys in new roles, blah, blah, blah. How do you think they've done in those games if you're using games against the best teams as kind of barometers of – where you are as a team well I think it's a clear indication that they're a very competitive team I really sort of look at this team as there you know even what you said we're at 30 games uh I don't know have the exact uh line of when it changed but I really think that they were they were playing more competitively but I really think the season changed when they f- changed when they figured out the lineup of starting Maxi Kleba and it's not all just man Kleba did all this it's just the trickle effect of him playing inside and being big, allowing Dirk to, to do different things, uh, you know, not playing small all the time. There was a, a wrinkle effect, uh, a ripple effect, I guess I should say. And 
that finding that lineup groove. I mean, the team had been competitive in just their style of play. Like they play hard, they play, they do the right things. Those sorts of uh, you know observations. But it just it was just better matchup wise for them once they made that change. And so if that's the way they had started the year. Uh, I think they would be a lot closer to 12 or 13 wins because they would be settled in on that by now. And but that is like borderline playoffs this season. It's borderline playoffs. Which is but surprising. But I, I, th- I think also, like, if you, uh, you know, have watched the team in the last, whatever it's been, three weeks or whatever it's been, they look like a play. Like, in other words, if you watch them play, just just take the take whatever you think about the talent aside. If you watch them play and then you flip over and watch the Oklahoma City Thunder play, you're not going to think the Thunder are better than the Mavs. You're going to think they're equal teams. Mm -hmm. But if you all right, well, Russ is an MVP and Paul George and all this and that, and then uh, you know, now you start looking at the record and stuff. But to me, it's like if I came, if I, you know, had been overseas for 15 years and didn't know any of these guys, and I came over and I watched the two teams play basketball, I'd I'd say, yeah, I think the Mavericks are probably better than that other team. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's just the way that they play, but they got off to a really slow start, just like last year. The record is what the record is, but I don't think I don't think teams look at the Mavericks and go, "Oh, here comes a crappy, you know, eight-win team or whatever." Mm. I don't think that's how they look at it. I'm glad that you brought up the Thunder in particular, and I'm not going to use this time to to take a giant dump on OKC or anything. But on this road trip, we've been to, to Golden State and San Antonio now, and the two game, the two days in between those games. The Thunder were on national TV. Mm-hmm. They played the uh, the who they played the first game. I don't remember. They played the they Pacers. Played the Sixers. Yeah, they played the Pacers and the Sixers in those yeah. first two games. And the Thunder won both games barely. Triple OT against Philly yeah, last triple night. Triple OT against Philly, which was a, a that was a, an absolutely wild game. But in watching OKC and really in watching Philly and Indy, so OKC has you know three superstars, three bona fide superstars, and then those other two teams are pretty young and. For like eight to ten minute stretches of those games, both teams are struggling to find even like good shots. Mm-hmm. Like they're taking like four shots, early shots, mid range shots that are contested. They're not getting to the basket. They're not even looking to get to the basket. They're not sharing the ball. Like you're you're going eight or ten minutes without getting a shot that you could be proud of, which is crazy to me from watching this team. And I know the Mavs are only eight and twenty one, and we'll see what the record is after tonight. They got a tough one against the Spurs, but they do not have those those gaps right they, they go maybe two minutes without a good shot and then Carlisle calls a timeout make, makes a couple subs and they come in they do the right thing like almost all the time and I think it really spoils us as observers of basketball to where with with the Mavs for so many other teams it's about let's get good shots for the Mavs they always get good shots this is a matter of like making them and whenever yeah. they make them they win and whenever they don't they lose I mean that's just that's just what it is and that's the classic Rick to make or miss league yeah. Um, I mean, there's no way that you could objectively watch this team play and not think that they play good basketball. They absolutely play good basketball. I mean, you know, you, you look at the games that, that have been, uh, I don't know what do you want to call it, routes or tough games. Obviously, I mean, the first half of the Golden State game, pretty spectacular on Thursday night. I know Golden State's missing a couple guys. Mavs missed a couple guys, whatever. Even the third quarter, I mean, it was, a, it was a, I think Golden State was up like four going into the fourth or something. Yeah, I mean, that sounds a pretty about close right. Game. Um, and then, but you know, I think a great example is look at the two Boston games. I mean, I think Boston's as good as anybody that's not Golden State. And um, oh, and of course, we struggled against Houston, but that was also early in the year too, when we hadn't found ourselves. Yep. I mean, hey, look, if we play the Houston Rockets, they're the best team in the NBA right now, and they're going to be favored. But I don't think it'd be like it was the last time. I think it'd be a, a, a competitive, good basketball game, and that's just where this team is right now. It's really hard. 
to get into the hole that they've got in and dig your way out of it. Uh, but I think if you take that initial stretch out and then look at the way they've played since then, it's a good basketball team. It's a middle-of-the-road NBA team. Their record doesn't say it, but their style of basketball and the results do. So being down Smith, being down Finney Smith, being down Curry, and Noel obviously is out now after having surgery, and then Josh McRoberts hasn't played all year too. So they got a 12-man roster with the two two-way guys. They have the Spurs tonight. And they go home and play, I believe, Phoenix and then Detroit. Yep. And they go to Miami, to Atlanta. So, and, De- and Detroit has struggled. Yep. Uh, they started off great this year, but they've struggled. Phoenix is in the same boat the Mavs are record-wise, obviously. Atlanta, I don't think Atlanta is going to sweep the Mavs this year. Mm-hmm. Miami's actually, you know, They're the last better. couple weeks, yeah. It's always tough to win in Miami. Too, yeah. Man. you got that South Beach flu that, that goes around down there. It's so, uh, yeah, it's terrible, those germs. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to look at after tonight, uh, after San Antonio game, I'm going to look at those next four games and go, you know what, I expect to go two and two, if not better. Yeah. Because just because of not – it's a combination of the opponents, but it's also it's the way that the Mavericks have been playing. Mm. So, say they win – let's say they go three and two in their next five games. Okay. Okay. So, that would put them at, what, 11 and 23. Mm-hmm. I believe if I'm counting games right. I mean, at this rate, it's looking like what forty might get you in. I think I think forty one got you in last year. Okay. Uh, so that means what? If if you're eleven and twenty three, you got to go twenty nine. And this is riveting podcasting. Twenty nine. And now and it's time for Bobby doing math <laughs> in his head. <laughs> twenty nine and nineteen. I think the rest of the way or something. I uh-huh. mean, like. It's doable, and now obviously, you know, they're. I think they're the third worst record in the NBA. But as as Cuban has said, as I talked to with uh, Followell about this on the last podcast, you could be the third worst record in the league. But if they win four in a row or something, then all of a sudden they're like two games out of the playoffs. Yeah. So it's just it's really hard to judge a team this early. But what is your through the end of the year? What is your like outlook? What it, what it, what are some of the things that you're going to be watching to say, okay, if this happens, then that would be. Good, and maybe that doesn't even mean wins and losses. What, quite, what are some quite, of the- quite honestly, for me, it's really this year is more about player development. Um, I look at it, and I want to see Dennis develop. I want to see Harrison continue to develop. I think it's been a real what bummer. Is that, what does that mean, though? Well, develop. okay. Not in less abstract terms, if you okay. can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the case of Harrison, I think, like, so he's still a young player. He's 25 years old. They go to him down the stretch. They'll go to him in isolation situations. I want to see the continued maturation of that to where, like, if you've been a fan, okay, let's just talk about Dirk. I'm not saying Harrison Martin's going to be Dirk. That's ridiculous. But you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> as you watched games when when Dirk first got here, there was this talk early on with Dirk and Finley and Nash. They don't have a closer. These guys don't know who's going to close. Well, eventually it was obvious Dirk was going to close. That probably happened when he was about 24-ish. I'd have to go back and look 25-ish, somewhere in there. 304, somewhere. Yeah, and then by the time he is 27, he's an MVP candidate, right? MVP winner. Yeah. So my, my whole point about all that is that, you know, right now I feel pretty good when they go to Harrison down the stretch, but I can feel a whole lot better about it. That's part of that maturation I'm talking about, continually delivering. He's got, obviously, the shot he hit was at at Memphis. He had the clipper shot last year. Uh, some stretches, you know, where he's like they're going to him multiple possessions. Those things are all good. That's what I'm talking about, the continued maturation of him, being a go-to guy. Because, yeah, you want, your, want, want to run your sets. You want to have early offense. You want to do the stuff. But late in the game, a guy's got to get it done or not get it done. And so that's what I mean with him. I want to see him continue to develop as a go-to guy. And right now, Dennis is just raw talent. He's not running an NBA team the right way yet. But I didn't expect him to. 
uh, he shows flashes where I think, man, this is going to be really good. But just objectively speaking, you can't watch this Maverick team and say that they're better on the floor with Dennis than they are with Berea. Statistically, that bears out, too. Berea's in his 30s. Dennis is 20. So you don't just drop into the NBA and you're good to go. you got to figure this stuff out. So with Dennis, he still has to learn what to do and what not to do. And so what I'm talking about, I look at this year's player development. Uh, I sent you a text the other day. I sent one to follow. I was like, hey, I want to hear your top duos in the league, 25 and under. And it's specifically, I was talking about Harrison and Dennis. Where do they fit into this? And a lot of it's going to be how Dennis progresses more than anything else. But in a league where it takes three superstars, I think it's safe to say that the Mavericks have two of their three. I feel confident about those two guys. Uh, A lot of it's going to be that Dennis has to grow and be the thing that we want him to be. But my whole point is that for this team to get back to what we're accustomed to, which is 50 win seasons and no-brainer playoffs and can we make a run, uh, those two guys have to be a huge part of it. And primarily Dennis has a long way to go. I think he can get there, but that's what I'm watching. I'm watching how quickly does he pick these things up to where – when he is 22, he is an all-star caliber player. That's what I'm looking for for the remainder of this year. Yeah, and then once you pick up the little things, kind of the more intangible things, then that's where you can start really developing. For example, his jump shot. Right. That is his jump. He's got a little hitch. It's sort of awkward at times. It could be smoothed out. But, man, there are about 500 more important things right now that, yeah. are, that you might not even notice when you watch him that are that he's got to work on. And then he can get to the big stuff. Right. You know, So the, the jumper will come in time but for now it's like kind of like we were just talking about with JJ how can you consistently create a good shot for this team yes what are some of the things you have to do is that your handle is that recognition is that watching tape is it all of those things like that's that's kind of what yeah like you said that's what I'm watching for with him for the rest of the year is how can he get himself in a good position all right skin you have a broadcast to get ready for. Yes. I was talking to Mark Followell on the same exact podcast. Wow, what a name dropper. Yeah, last week. Yeah, he and I are buddies. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, wow. we, we hang out like all the time. So Mark Followell won't talk to me. Wow. Wow. Well, that says something about you, my friend. Maybe I'm making stuff up. Maybe. So he told me on this podcast that he spends, for a regular game, he'll spend about five hours getting ready. By And by that, I mean... Um, doing stats studies on guys, you know, right. learn, and also reading about them. So, like, where they went to college, how experienced are they, what, you know, what were they doing 10 years ago, blah, 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 blah. How many hours would you say you spend to get ready for your typical NBA game? Well, for me, it's a little bit different because I have a radio show. Mm. And so uh, people always say, how much time do you spend? On 105.3 The Fan. Thank you. Nice plug. The Monday ben through Friday, 3 to 7? That's right. 3 to 7. The Ben and Skin Show. And so people always say, how much time do you spend ready getting ready? Do you, how much time do you spend getting ready for the radio show? And I'm like, uh, I'm being awake. Like, you never <laughs> turn it off. Like, I never, like, obviously I'll sit down and really zero in when it's time. But I'm always reading. I'm always looking for something. I'm always watching games. That, like, never stops. Uh, the only times I'm not doing it, I'm going to go watch my son play basketball or hear him play piano or we're going to have dinner or whatever. Aside from that, uh, you know, I'm getting ready for an NBA game or I'm getting ready for the radio show. And so for me, because I'm such a fan, like I wake up every morning and the first thing I do is I look at the SB Nation NBA newsletter that Tom Ziller puts out. Good morning, it's basketball, I think. Yeah, because he just groups together a bunch of stories and it makes it easy for me to go story to story to story. 
And then usually when I click on those stories and it takes me to other stories. So my whole point is, so Followell's job is very different than my job or Harp's job. And my job's very different than Harp's job. But uh, what, what I'm doing is I'm just trying to absorb as much as I can at all times. And then Followell is, you know, your point guard. And so, like, if you've have you ever looked at his uh, folder that he uses? Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of handwritten notes, and it's in tiny, there. yeah, like very tiny small. print, yeah, very small. Um, so his job is to conduct. So he prepares for a game differently than I do. Uh, I'm just looking to have as many reference points as I can of current information that I can add to the broadcast, anecdotal things, and then obviously, as something happens, if I see a move or I see something happen off the ball, but you know. Me and Hart both see a ton of stuff that never make it to the broadcast because there's just not enough room. It's a quick-paced game. Mm. So there's a lot of things like, ooh, I'd like to say that. Ah, the moment has come and gone. We're two possessions away now. There's no point in going back. So my prep is more about it's just constantly absorbing as much information, as many stories, and as many anecdotal things I can to color the broadcast a little bit. So it's just a little bit different. I don't sit down on game day and spend three hours getting ready for the game. I get ready for the game two days before when I have time. and Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah it's no, just absolutely. constantly absorbing information. Yep. I told Follow-Up this, and I'll tell you this too now. Everybody appreciates it, man. You read, like, league pass rankings and stuff like that. You guys are always very well rated. We seem Group to do okay. watching you guys on TV. Yeah. So it is, it is very uh, – We're Mavs fans are very lucky to have you guys. Well, that's very nice of you to say. Uh, I think all three of us have this philosophy that it's fun, you know. And so if you try to convey that to the viewer – I think they'll ha- hopefully they'll have fun too. Yeah. I mean, you're watching a game, so we can get all upset and throw things Sports and freak are fun, out. Man, Basketball sports is fun. fun. It ain't the end of the world, baby. So yep. let's have a good time while we're doing it. Yep. While JJ Bray just walked up to us. Oh, and Dirk is shooting threes right in front. Should we tell him? Uh, wait, should we tell him? If only Bray knew what Dirk had just said about, on this podcast about 15 his minutes career. ago. About his plus minus and his. I'm not going there before a game. I don't want to throw him off his game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Brad Davis is is muscling up. (laughs) Maybe you heard about it anyway. Well, they're all smiling. I'm assuming it's fun loving. Oh, okay, okay. All right, well, he is Jeff Skin Wade. I'm Bobby Corella. This is Numbers on the Boards from San Antonio, Texas. Skin, if the Mavs are going to win this game, real quick before we get out of here, uh, people are going to hear this after the game. So if the Mavs are going to win this game, what will have gone right for them? Uh, They will limit the Spurs to one shot. The whole game? No, no, no. That would be a defensive masterpiece. Okay. The Spurs end up with 99 turnovers or something? Yeah, something like that. Uh, no, uh, on, they're, they're not going to let the Spurs get a bunch of offensive rebounds. You know, uh, on the Tuesday win, the Mavericks had uh, a positive on points in the paint over the Spurs. Did they really? I think they were plus six. Okay, yeah, they um, did a good job getting it out of Aldridge's hands. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, And I think also, you know, not getting killed on the glass would be big because they, they go Gasol, they go Aldridge, they go those guys. No Kawhi, no Parker to not so, uh, tonight. So I think limiting the inside stuff and especially limiting them to one shot on a possession, that's what we'll look back at if the Mavericks win this game. All right, very good. Thank you, Skin. This is Numbers on the Boards. Yeah. We will see you guys next week. Numbers on the Boards with Jeff Skinwade and Bobby Corrala. 